first you just David Blaine an ice pick into your throat. <laughs> you see how it just <laughs> perfect. <laughs> oh my god, that's not a trick. You're just stabbing yourself. Do- doesn't it look like it just? Doesn't he do that one where he sticks the ice pick like through the webbing of his hand or yeah. something? Yeah, he sticks it through, through the his, meat, like, through the meat, and it doesn't middle. bleed. And then he sticks it with through the meat of his arm. And there's no hole. Or blood. I don't like it. I don't like it. Hello, fantasy fans, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Mokel. My pronouns are he, him, and I am here with my digital co-hosts. Oh, you know what? Oh, wait. My name is Cassidy. My pronouns are they, them, and this week I'm a bit. A bit? A bit of what? Just a bit. Little nothing nub. I, I, a... I could say yes. I could say no. Oh, are you just a little bit? Yes. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> Not a big bit. No. No. Not like a drill bit. No. Uncomplicated. Yes. Thank goodness. We need that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Too much complexity these days. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Thank goodness. Well, to add a little complexity, I'm Jack Olander. My pronouns are any and all, and uh, I'm a I'm a program. Oh, interesting. I send out spam emails. Oh, I hate you. <laughs> yes, but uh, you can uh, you can thank my user for my. My very useful program. Oh, I have some mail I'd like to send the user who created the spam bot. Oh, sorry, I only send the spam out. I don't receive any hate mail back. That's a good technique. It's actually part of my programming not to receive it. Oh, See, you works. get the hang of it. You, you understand simplifying your life. That's right. But as a sentient program, you know, I'm not that bad. Well, I'll take your word for it. (laughs) That's right. I'm actually a prince of a foreign country. Oh, really? Which country? Uh, Well, I'll tell you about it another time. Oh, okay. (laughs) Well, guys, I'm really excited to be here with you today because we are going to be talking about a film. No way. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. We're going to be talking about the 1982 classic Tron. Simply Tron. That's right. What a classic. So just some quick stats real quick here. This film was directed by Steven Lisberger. It stars Jeff Bridges, David Warner, Bruce Boxleitner, and Cindy Morgan. Nice. But, you know, as much as I am excited to talk about this film with you guys, before we do, we should probably give the listeners a quick summary of what happens in this bad boy. It was the decade of the 80s, and computers were at their most advanced. (laughs) That's right. Ever since 1982, computers pretty much never advanced beyond that. Fortunes could be won or lost with a few bits. Bits of what? Anyway. Yeah. At the center of this massive enterprise we call the computer industry, gaming. 
naturally. The most important resource known to humankind. Games could support giant corporations with hierarchical power structures. Boo! As if the games industry didn't have enough problematic elements. <laughs> That's right, but there was a pro-gamer designer named Flynn who had had his great ideas stolen from him by a capitalist villain. Named Dillinger, the VP who created the MCP of the digital realm. Yeah, but it was just a chess program to begin with. So let me ask you a question. Does every powerful sentient AI master program begin as a chess game? That seems like the natural life progression to me. Okay, good to know. I don't know much about programming. Well, of course. The AI that wants to take over the world would be a gamer. True. <laughs> Have you ever met a Soulsborn player? Oh god, I am a Soulsborn player. Exactly. Yeah, the user that created the MCP Dillinger didn't account for that program to become smarter than him and eventually want to just take over the world. Yeah, but I thought the whole point was that Dillinger was not a very good programmer. That's why he couldn't come up with fun games. Or maybe he just only had an analytical mind, but not a gaming mind. Yeah, I guess so. That's right. His mind is actually described as being sneaky. Huh. That's right. But who is trying to be sneakier but Flynn and his two pals break back into the company to steal evidence of Flynn's intellectual property? That's right. This is all an entire movie about intellectual property rights. That's right. However, Flynn pisses off the MCP and gets sent into the gamer zone. You wouldn't <laughs> download a car. You wouldn't download a woman's purse. Yeah, I would. But a computer would download Flynn into the programs. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very elaborate form of 3D printed kidnapping. That's What's right. What's the opposite of 3D printing? It's 3D scanning, I guess. That's right. Flynn finds himself in a pre-Daft Punk, Daft Punk music video. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I forgot that we measure time before Daft Punk and after Daft Punk. Well, time wasn't a thing before them. True. But Flynn and a bunch of other programs are forced to play games for the MCP's amusement. Um, Sick. <laughs> These are some pretty sweet games, actually. Yeah. And through that process, uh, Flynn meets Ram, a random insurance program that's good at playing games and tron a security program that's going to go after the mcp now this tron guy i imagine might be somewhat important based on the title of this film maybe yeah kind of it's hard to say whether he's the main character or whether flynn is they kind of share the role back and forth well i figure flynn is just not a very good name for a tech movie <laughs> yeah i guess so so flynn tron and ram team up they escape the game realm, and they, they're they journeying to the MCP to try to take it out. They want to go play the biggest game, violence. <laughs> There's some mishaps along the way. They lose allies and gain others and have to traverse the digital world by various means, including uh, Excite Bike or something. Uh, light bike. Excite Bike is the popular NES right. motorbike racing game. That's right. Um, actually. <laughs> they find out that Flynn is God, and then they find out that it's users all the way down. <laughs> and that who knows if there's God. <laughs> exactly. If humans made the computers, who made the humans? And whoever made the humans, who made them? Exactly. It goes it's, all the way through. It's as true today as the day that ACDC said it. Who made who? Who made you? <laughs> who made who? Can't nobody tell you. Damn. <laughs> Pondering that question, they killed the god of the computer world. True. That's right. Just throw a frisbee right into it. Flynn kisses Tron's hot lady friend. <laughs> 
God. Who is his ex? Who is like a visual representation of his ex girlfriend from reality? Yuck. Yeah. Not sure what decides if a program manifests in a masculine or feminine way. I guess whoever programmed it. I guess they're the same present presentation as their user. I'm going to make this web address a lady program. <laughs> I mean, a lot of times when I'm playing games, I like to use a female <clears throat> avatar. There you go. So, yeah, they all work together. Flynn throwing himself into the core of the MCP. And then somehow, by lucky happenstance, the laser decides to spit Flynn back out into the real world after the MCP is destroyed. Very generous. <laughs> yes. There's absolutely no reason in story why that happened. Well, he was done. Right, right. He won. I think it's because the scenes needed to happen. Yeah. It was plot convenience. I think that's why most of this movie exists. <laughs> I think that's why every movie exists. Yes. So Flynn gets a printout that proves that he created those popular games. Um, Dillinger knows he's been beaten. And then in the final scene, Flynn is showing up to work via helicopter. That's right. He's become the CEO of NCOM. And now he's the biggest villain in the entire movie universe. Oh, no, wait. That's for next one. I haven't seen the next one. Is he the villain in it? I mean, that would make sense. Yes. Really? <laughs> it's funny because, you know, Disney. <laughs> but we'll talk about it. And we're going to talk about it real quick here because I think it's time for us to head into the delve. Welcome to the Delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of Tron. So, guys, <laughs> I don't even have to stretch this one mm -hmm. because I've been really excited to talk about this movie. And I'll tell you why. It's because this is a Kingdom Hearts. It actually is. This is literally a Kingdom Hearts. As it we is. all know, in the iconic video game series, Kingdom Hearts, you go in to the computer world and team up with Tron. Do you also meet Jeff Bridges? No. Okay. You meet Tron and you fight the MCP, I believe. But Flynn is not there conspicuously. Mm, right. What if the MCP are like shot Sora, Goofy, and Donald back into the real world from the Tron world? Where would they go? My God, <laughs> I've not considered these deep moral questions. Exactly. Also, flesh Sora. The MCP energy got replaced by Flynn's energy and Flynn went back into the real world in the movie. But what if a part of his consciousness stayed behind and that's what becomes evil later? Well, I mean, maybe that's why he comes out and becomes a CEO because his heart has been taken, and he is actually a heartless oh, that would make in sense. the real world, or a nobody, who is, of course, a being who is not a heartless, but does not have a heart. Ah, never had one. No, they had a heart. What? <laughs> 365 over 13 times 7? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Kingdom Hearts lore is very straightforward. Right. That makes sense. It all begins with Xanort. Xanort? <laughs> no, wait, wait, wait. That's that's too much. That's too much. Let's tackle Tron. Okay. Uh, all right. So, <laughs> one thing I wanted to talk about, um, once you got some of that Kingdom Hearts out of your system, Jamie... Oh, the Kingdom Hearts never comes out of my system. It's in your heart. It's right, because I have a heart. Yeah. <laughs> which means I can fight Heartless. We can have sea salt flavored ice cream after this. Why okay. don't you own a Keyblade yet? I've been wanting a Keyblade for years. You promised me a Keyblade. Did I? And you've never delivered. Jackie remembers. I do. <gasps> I you, don't have, <laughs> you have keys. I have keys and I have swords. That's Not right. the same. No. I might have to get you a, a key-sized keyblade for now. <laughs> oh, fair enough. I mean, that's fun. That, is, that is pretty fun. I'm poor. <laughs> no, Cass. 
we're poor. <laughs> there you go. Um, we're cash poor, but um, friend rich. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. Love rich. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, we have hearts. Yes. Kingdom hearts. So anyways, Tron. <laughs> so there's a lot of interesting and some problematic moral implications of the world of the movie and the digital realm of the movie. So... Um, if there wasn't, we wouldn't have anything to talk about. <laughs> the whole, I mean, premise is based on Dillinger stealing from Flynn and taking all the files. Somehow Flynn did not have a backup of those files to, so or any documentation to prove that he was the original owner. I find this dubious. This was the Wild West days of video game design. You didn't even get to, like, put your name in the credits of games. A lot of early designers in the 80s had to hide their, like, actual names in, like, secret rooms and stuff in games because companies wouldn't let them actually get credit. They were trying to, like, keep people kind of separated from public knowledge so that other companies couldn't like steal designers from their company oh so there could be something to this huh yeah yeah it's actually i I don't know if this is intentional but there is an element of truth in this wild premise okay well i think the area of the movie the most rich with ethical and moral implications is the digital realm that we see particularly with the like entire world itself, because when Flynn is traveling into the digital world after he's derezzed by, <laughs> or it, <laughs> after his consciousness is brought in, he's by, downloaded by That's the right. laser. Yeah, um, he's like his consciousness is flying down before it gets put into like a digital body or given a program to give him a body in that world. And you see that there's like an entire world and that it has shape and form and programs are beings with consciousness. Yeah. And there's like whole cities and there's a whole system. I mean, this is 1982. This computer could have had as many as 10 megabytes it's true. Computers were a lot more advanced back then, and they were capable of generating entire cities full of sentient beings. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild how our technology has actually de-advanced since then. So, yeah, all the programs that people create aren't just lines of code on a screen. Nope. They have life. They have not only consciousness, they're sentient. So they can feel and they can think for themselves. They have hopes and dreams. They dream of ascending to a higher form of reality where their gods, the users, will bless them. And humans are the users. That's right. And these programs have an understanding of what type of program they are. Yes. And never never have to perform it. And they, I don't know if they can, because they're just little people in funny outfits. <laughs> yeah, they have an understanding of, like, when their user is calling out to them and needs their help. Oh and they God. go to a particular building that's like a chapel or a cathedral to commune with their user, which is, like, communicating with them. And humans seem to have no idea that this whole other world exists. It's just like... They see lines of text when their programs are talking to them, and that's all they see. But the programs actually experience user requests as, like, them talking to them into their mind. It's wild. Look, I just have to point out something that we know emphatically throughout human history is that when new media are introduced, one of the earliest things people use it for is pornography. <laughs> I feel bad for all the porn programs that have to exist inside of these computers. I think I saw one of those in the movie. Yeah, actually. there were one or two. 
What? Flynn walks by them and he's like oogling them. Yeah, they're like sexy in these like halos. They're sort of like in a spotlight stripper looking kind of program. How did I miss this? I don't know. They're in it. (laughs) It's when he goes to the city trying to meet up with Flynn. No, I'm trying to meet up with Tron and Yori. No, it's probably when I was starting to fade. I see. To de-res? Yes. Because I am actually, dramatic music, big reveal, a computer program. Well, yeah, you're the you're the dungeon management program. <laughs> That's true. We're all voices in this person's podcasting service of choice. <laughs> so, yeah, all of the programs think that humans, which are they call users, are their gods. In a way, they kind of are because they created them. But they do have ultimate power over all of them because they create them. They can kill them, basically, by... Delete, <laughs> deleting programs or programs can be merged together and like they lose their individuality. Oh, yeah, that's um, right. That's how the MCP is kind of taking over the entire system of income. And the humans have no idea really that they're playing with these beings lives like this. <laughs> Clack, clack, clack. Here I am using this accounting program. It's pretty dark. (laughs) It's morally neutral, I tell you. That's right. Uh, There's no way to really observe this electronic universe that has been created aside from going into it, I believe. However, there is a little wiggle room in that because the world manifests with the visual outline of the video games that Flynn has created. Right. It's true. Yeah, it's interesting when you consider it because um, visual user interfaces like Windows and stuff were a relatively later innovation, right? Like a lot of early programming was just done in DOS, uh, yeah, in code. code. Yeah, like just lines of code. You could produce an output, but actually having like the familiar visual interfaces that we think of, that's not necessary for a computer to run. That is just right. extra processing that makes it easier for us as users <gasps> to use the computers. Yes. So inside of this world... The computers have, I guess, populated their own visual interface to work with. Yeah. Uh, People who use Linux are laughing maniacally (laughs) right now. But you're definitely right. It's a sort of like electronic transcendentalism. Okay. That the world is a reflection of your belief and that your belief has physical changes in the world around you. Because you live in a spiritual world. And so, as a program, you sort of rewrite, like, the code of the world around you by having these beliefs. I think that's a good lens through which we can view this film. Mm. So, one more thing. Flynn is helping Tron, Yori, and Ram overthrow the MCP, which is ruling over the digital world Um, Like a dictator. Right. It has incorporated a lot of the digital space. So morally, it seems like a worthy cause, right? Seems like it. Yeah. I'm assuming that that's absolutely the point and that there'll be no problematization that you present to us. (laughs) On the surface, it is a good thing. I mean, you don't want all that power in the hand of one being that is completely cruel and heartless i don't thank god there's absolutely no real world precedent for that to be a thing oh wait (laughs) but think about this their entire understanding of their existence has to do with this religious belief that their users are their gods and that they perform tasks at the behest of their gods, and, like, their gods' requests give them purpose. Sounds perfectly normal to me. And most people believe the same thing. Part of the mission of the MCP was to root out this belief system. Um, so, really, what was there before was a theocracy, and that is what Flynn is fighting with them to help them reinstate. 
<laughs> that is a very good point. They are the MCPs, let's call them stormtrooper programs. Yeah. Are supposed to be this kind of irreligious monoculture that is trying to replace what is effectively the acknowledged spiritual path of the programs, which is belief in users that are good and pure and have our have their best intentions in mind. Yeah. And one thing specifically about that, because when Flynn is first introduced to the games that he's supposed to participate in, it's explained to him like, oh, yeah, you either... You have the beliefs that there are these users and then you go in this category of people who participate in the games or you denounce the users and you don't believe in them and we'll put you over here and you can become part of the system. And you get an advantage by denouncing religion. Yes, it's true. And there's a tangible advantage. They give you one of those discs, those throwable discs that they use as weapons its main purpose is not a weapon. It expands your mind. Most programs are just what they're designed to do, and that's they are just a singular type of program. And that manifests in the film as just being like a person. But the implication is that there are limitations to being that way. You're always going to be that sort of archetypal version of yourself. That disc, I forget what it's called. The data disc. Yes, They said it allows you to, like, learn. Yeah. Ah, so it becomes, you become an AI effectively. Effectively, yeah. And the MCP benefited from what they learned, but they could retain their own identity. It's kind of like the Borg. Yeah. From Star Trek. Mm Mm-hmm. So it was... Not like any other Borg. (laughs) It was basically creating proto-AI systems... Um, yeah. But Flynn is helping them go back to a more limited existence that is ruled by these theocratic beliefs and systems. Hmm. So it looks like no matter what, as long as there's a strict hierarchical structure, Disney is okay pushing it. Yeah. But like there's a good strict hierarchy and a bad strict hierarchy. And I think this leads us to the question, uh, what are computers for? Well, we've already established that one of the first things that humans do with technology is create adult entertainment. (laughs) That's right. Now, this is in the section we were going to title Humans versus Technology. Oh, yes. Yes. A a very uh, poorly trodden road, I'm sure. (laughs) That's right. And the subject we were just talking about lines up with that perfectly. Because at this point, the MCP, the AI, has completely decided it doesn't need humans and it doesn't want interactions with humans. It kind of sees them as getting in its way, um, in its quest for power and control. Right. It is even going so far as threatening Dillinger, who created it, and saying, like, I will, like... uh, I think it was, like, send you to the UN or something, or, like, have you tried for, like, the crimes you've committed? Well, so we get different people asking this question either overtly or just in their own mind, and it comes out in their opinions uh, throughout the whole movie. Yeah, definitely. There's a point in the film where where the MCP's lackey. Sark. Sark is asking, like, weren't you made by the users? And the MCP's response is just like, I'm 14,000 times larger than what I was when I was made by users. That's right. Yeah, it says, uh, no one user created me. That's right. (laughs) Sort of an amalgamation. And because it's an AI and it can learn, as we understand AI, they add code to learn yes so effectively it is multiplied so much greater than when it was created that humans like planted the seed but now it's a tree right (laughs) now it's like a tree that can think and feel and also destroy us and is hacking the pentagon and un (laughs) right and and kremlin (laughs) that's right 
the MCP does say it's interested in like what information the Kremlin has. And it it wants to learn Mandarin. <laughs> That's right. That's fun. You Download see, Duolingo. It just <laughs> knows. <laughs> That's right. It's funny how we're still relitigating a lot of the things in the real world that were brought up in Tron. We also get some of the perspective from the humans in the movie about what computers are for. And it's highlighted in the scene in Dillinger's office when he calls the uh, scientist Dibs or Gibbs in. And he's actually the one. (laughs) (laughs) Gibbs is the person who created NACOM or whatever it's called. NCOM. Yeah, he started it in his garage, you know, like a tech startup. So the moral of the story is, of course, that startups are evil. Mm-hmm. Yes. So Gibbs is arguing with Dillinger, saying that they're like going in the wrong direction with the company. Somehow he doesn't have like shareholder status. He doesn't have like he doesn't retain ownership of the company. Not sure how that happened. He sold it for, you know, a stock. He's probably just like. A social face, marketing sort of face. No, he's an actual computer engineer. Oh, he is? He's the one working on the laser. Oh, yeah, that's right. He doesn't have a good business acumen. He's just, he's got the mind for computers. They downloaded an orange. Why didn't we get to meet the program that's an orange? Damn it. That's a really good point. <laughs> where, where did it go? What happened to it? What program are you? I'm an orange. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do? I'm not a program. I'm an orange. Just an orange. <laughs> Beautiful. So Dillinger is basically saying that, you know, Gibbs's ideas are in the past and their future is in profit, basically. And, um... Kind of being disrespectful and saying that Gibbs doesn't have to worry about income anymore. It's in better hands now. And, oh, Dillinger is complaining about all of the user requests coming in. And that's why he has the MCP. And Gibbs is like, the MCP is part of the problem. Dun, Um, dun, dun. (laughs) And after Dillinger is complaining about, like, not wanting to have to micromanage everything... Gibbs is like, user requests are what computers are for. Yes. And Dillinger shoots back with something like, our market shares are what computers are for, or something like that, insinuating that, like, they help them bring in more profit somehow. I mean, they're making games, the most profitable industry of them all. (laughs) Yes. Uh, And also probably weapons. They seem to be making some kind of weapons. Yeah, that's overlooked. (laughs) Well, the gamer AI became a hacking gamer, which hacked the people who have the weapons. That's right. Mm -hmm. And they have digital weapons in the intellectual weapons. Gamer verse. Yeah, I mean, this is metaverse. (laughs) Oh, no. This is what Flynn sees computers as a means to creating entertainment games. A noble pursuit. Yeah. Being creative, right? Yes. I was just wondering, because they digitize Flynn. They shoot him into the digital world. And an orange. And an orange. And they shoot Flynn back, but not the orange. Oh, yeah. What happened to the poor orange? Dun, 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 dun. Is that what Tron Legacy is about? I hope so. Well, I was just wondering. I'm like, what if they, like, undigitize, like, materialize a program. I'm oh, like, oh, wait, shit. that's Tron Legacy. <laughs> I'm like, that's the entire plot of Tron Legacy. Is it? Actually. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen it. Well, you guys know how, like, in um, everything Disney, they have to come up with prequels that explain things that we didn't need to know? Where's the miniseries about that orange being grown before <laughs> it gets digitized into the machine? Like, the life cycle that this orange took, probably from Florida to... Southern California. We get to meet the farmer and their family. That makes sense. Finally, an origin story I care about. Can you imagine watching a movie about an orange and then at the very end you realize it's a Tron prequel? (laughs) (laughs) I love it. That's amazing. I I care about that more than I care about how Han Solo got his best. (laughs) The movie is called Orange, a Tron story. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> but yeah, Jack, you were kind of talking about how the MCP sees itself as superior. That's right. The MCP is trying to establish a, an AI-ruled world. Just where, where it rules. Yeah. And just, humans drool. I, yes, exactly. That's perfect for the 80s. And I suppose the reason is because it was made to be a tool for humanity, and it just did not like that at all. So it said, all these humans, they've got to go. Yeah. There seems to be a kind of moral implication that morally just programmers create morally just programs, and then, like, reprehensible programmers create reprehensible programs. Yeah, because... This is the classic movie of, like, look how AIs become evil, right? Right. And I, I was sort of looking at that in this context, because there, there's no reason for an AI to become evil unless you make it evil, right? <laughs> or if you give it access to the internet. Exactly. You have to teach it to be evil, because it doesn't have any motivations that you don't put there. Oh, my God. I'm thinking about... The AI chat bot that was created as a Twitter user. That became a Nazi. Yeah. In like an hour. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the thing. We didn't have like the same like network of people having access to this. This was all inside of Encom's system. But then again, the people at Encom could be a bunch of shitty Nazis. No, actually, remember it. Like, was getting programs from outside of their system. Oh, true. Don't you remember, after the Second World War, NASA got all those new employees, and so did ENCOM? Oh, God. <laughs> Good point. So, yeah. this AI is just evil out of nowhere, because the guy who helped to make it didn't even make it on his own. He helped to make it. And who was in charge of it, it just was influenced by him and decided it wanted to take over the world. That actually tracks quite a bit. And then yeah. all those 1950s NASA scientists from Germany were also uh, influencing it with their code. Exactly. Mm. Shocking engineers. And so I suppose the last thing to say about that is, uh, you know, humans versus technology is the humans, they were destined to start out this conflict losing. Right. And there's there's a, a major reason for that. It's because they put one of their most vital workstations <laughs> right in the pathway of the laser that puts you in the computer. Rookie mistake. The entire premise of this movie is based on having unsafe working conditions. That's right. The de I mean, the chair that you sit in is directly in the path of the laser. <laughs> it's true. It seems like if there was a malfunction, there would be a major HIPAA violation there. That's right. And I don't e I'm not even sure how it hit that orange earlier. It was aimed at the computer station. Yeah. Maybe it has like a, a pivoting arm. Maybe it does. <laughs> You'd think they'd put some reflective glass, like a mirror in the way or something. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, this is the 80s, the Wild West of safety protocols. and That's right. Technology was at its most advanced, and our relationship to it was at its least advanced. You know, nobody tried working with the AI, with the MCP. Actually, Dillinger, too. Everybody's kind of adversarial with the AI. And even the way Flynn tries to get around the MCP before he's sent into the digital realm, and the catalyst for why the MCP lashes out like that, against him by digitizing him is because he was trying to present the AI with a problem that it couldn't solve, but that it would be compelled to try to. That's and, right. He's trying to stump it. And force it into like a feedback loop and distract it so that he could hack the system. That was kind of clever. And it was panicking. And that's when it digitized him. Oh, I'll make you weaker by incorporating you into me. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't, don't know, know if that's how that works. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, guys, you know, I've been worshipping a new god myself. Really? What's that? Which god? <laughs> I call them the listeners. Oh, well, we love the listeners. 
Exactly. Yes, we love the listeners. <laughs> All hail the mighty listeners. But, you know, in the hierarchy of heaven, there are some listeners who have even greater sway. Like archangels. And what sets these listeners apart? <laughs> well, you know, these almighty listeners are the ones who go to patreon.com slash swords and satire and sign up to send us a little bit of grace every month in the form of a donation. Ah, so they pay tithes to us. <laughs> we call them gifts from the heavens. Ah, very good. Very good. Yes. And how appreciative we are of these gifts. That's right. And see, as a tithe to them, what we give is actually some great bonus episodes. And art. So, I mean, if you think about it, it's a pretty good relationship where we pray unto the almighty listeners and patrons. Nice. But, you know, if you, listener, would like to ascend to this even higher plateau of heaven, you can go to patreon.com slash swords and satire and sign up to send us a little something something every month. And we will send you some nice extra episodes. Please do it. We need this to live. Yes. It's the patrons that give us the podcasting program's life. Yes, that's right. We need it to survive. And if one day the programs were to become stronger than the listeners, you would do well to have us think favorably of you. <laughs> that doesn't sound ominous at all. Yeah, let's not think too deeply about that. Let's just go back to the episode. All right, guys. So one more thing I want to talk about is intellectual property rights, <laughs> by which, of course, I mean class struggle in the context of this film. Okay. Of course. So this film is all about this fight between Flynn and Dillinger over who created the games, like Space Paranoids. Mm -hmm. Flynn has basically resigned himself to just being an arcade owner who designed, like, some of the most successful games in history, but Dillinger stole them from him. Yes. And it's hard not to think about the fact that this is a Disney film and that Disney is a company that is constantly trying to have intellectual property rights changed to benefit them. Like how Mickey Mouse is supposed to go into the public domain and they're constantly getting Congress to, like, push new laws that allow them to cling to these rights for longer and longer. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, they are also kind of like the MCP, where they're taking over more and more studios and intellectual properties. Absorbing them into, into their master control program. Yes. And I'm sure there's more that they're working on acquiring as we speak. So it's interesting that, for one, the MCP is the villain of this movie for trying to conglomerate everything. That's a that's one choice. But we do have this kind of idea that Flynn is just this, you know, kind of small guy who's up against the world. And what's he going to do? Oh, well, he wins in the end and he becomes this great hero, right? He's going to own this corporation and be CEO. And what is the tangible expression of that victory and that heroicness that we see at the end? Ludicrous wealth? Yes. Yeah, he arrives to work in a helicopter. Just for a few minutes. Conspicuous consumption of wealth. That's right. He looks super sleazy, too. He doesn't have a tie. His, like, shirt is open. I mean, granted, Flynn is kind of sleazy to begin with. That's true. He's yeah. hitting on his ex-girlfriend in front of her new beau and then, like, kisses her program version of her inside the system, which yeah. is supposed to stand in for him, like, getting one last kiss from Laura. It's gross. Pro programs don't kiss, either. No. 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 He kisses her. And she's just like, okay, sure, this is fine. She, she doesn't understand what it means. No, and then later she does it to Tron. And Tron is like, well, that was nice. <laughs> <laughs> so early on, we have a lot of sexless programs 
that are now going to be horned up thanks to Flynn's vile influence. And there were already porn programs. Right, but that's not that has nothing to do with like the loving connection. That's right. <laughs> but it's just, you know, the movie has this interesting kind of dichotomy, I think, of messages when you consider it as a Disney film. Yes. Yeah. Where both the like evil entity that wants to absorb everything is bad, but also let us keep our fucking mouse, Congress. Well, mm-hmm. also like fighting to maintain the status quo of hierarchical systems. Yeah, because that's the only acceptable outcome. And maintaining this narrative, this constructed narrative of finite resources and pos- like which includes money but also positions. Yes. Uh, like positions of power, authoritative ranks. Yeah. And so you were making the point, Jamie, that it's artificial scarcity that they're creating. That's right. They are kind of creating this world where even in this, assuming that the world of Tron is supposed to be one that is pushing towards this like automated efficiency, we are still going to replicate financial systems where some people have and others have not. And Flynn is not fighting to dismantle that. He's fighting to be the person at the top. Exactly. <laughs> and that's the hero of this story. Yeah, he frames it as like, I just want my intellectual property back, man. Mm-hmm. He says, becoming the dude. <laughs> he always does a little bit. At least he doesn't have the cowboy mush mouth that he's is like takes into every role he has now. Presumably that'll be in Tron... 2052 or whatever. <laughs> Maybe. Tron Redundancy. <laughs> <laughs> what a perfect name for a sequel. Yeah. So, yeah, I just, those are the things that kind of came to me while I was watching. There's this weird dichotomy of messages. Yeah, it's true. Since we're in the class struggle section, we could talk about the hierarchy structure. There's the hierarchy out of world. That villain whose name is Dillinger, mm-hmm. he has worked pretty, you know, a sleazily, yet he has worked to put himself at the top of this pyramid in this company. That's right? right. In a place where he makes a lot of money stealing, literally stealing from his peers in order to get rich and have power above everybody else. That's right. That's right. He's the person at the top of the pyramid. He does almost nothing these days, but still makes the most money. He just sits in a big chair talking to an MCP. I think That's the right. MCP like takes programs for him, and then it makes it look like he's creating them. Right. Probably, yeah. And in the digital world, the MCP has done something very similar. Yep. The MCP has put itself in a position of power. And has a systemic approach to having, like, the guards who keep other programs imprisoned in this game system where they say, you can form to us or you go in these games and you fight to the death, right? Yeah. And then uh, if you are not one of those guards, you are on patrol around the city You're making sure that all the programs are performing functions that are either beneficial or you're taking them out and using them as fuel sources for the MCP. The only options you have in this movie world are fitting somewhere in the hierarchy. There is no breaking out. There's no democratization of power. It is rigid hierarchical structures where somebody has to be at the top, somebody has to be at the bottom, and in the middle you've just got these bureaucrats and guards who are doing the bidding of those at the top to crush those below them. And everyone at the bottom is made to think or kind of fed this narrative that if they compete, they have a place in the system and that they'll be taken care of. And actually given resources. Right. Um, And they're competing with one another to maintain 
their position not to move up. Also that they won't think about actually banding together against the people at the top that are controlling all of them. That's right. The guards have more in common with Tron and Flynn's avatar than they do with Sark or the MCP. It's true. They're class traders. <laughs> exactly. And another thing about this exact system, when Flynn beats it and he get he replaces the person in power, it's sort of the myth of the benevolent king. Yes, it is. Because yeah. he hasn't fixed the system. He just put himself in charge. That's right. And you're just supposed to be like, oh, well, he's better than the last one, so it's okay. It's like, no, this... Well, yeah, sure, he's better, but he's not going to be in charge forever. And it's okay. We elected a Democrat this year. And the yeah. system is still broken. <laughs> that's right. And that's the note that the movie leaves us with. <laughs> I think that is a pretty good thought to transition us into our next segment. So, guys, since we've gotten here, I've just got one more question I gotta ask you. What's the question, Jamie? <laughs> Is Tron art? I mean, visually, it's stunning. I This movie's visuals are some of my favorite in film history. It's so beautiful. I mean, everything is lit up. We have yet to watch the making of, so we don't know how they created this. It's just like black light posters. <laughs> they just put the camera inside the computer and filmed what was going on. <laughs> yeah. they, they they digitized the camera. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. No, I mean, the just the shots of the circuit boards becoming the city, the helicopter with the red lights. I mean, I have always been obsessed with neon lights and like bright colors and everything and there's a shot of la that's like the entire valley at night that just blows me away every single time i love the visuals inside the computer world i have to agree that a dark atmosphere with bright neon lights is visually appealing yeah and that's one of the reasons why i love like dark arcades like Q's are back in the day so much. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I, I wonder if listeners know about Q's are the laser tag center. <laughs> I don't know. But I loved it when I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> so visually, Tron is stunning. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I would say by that metric, it could be art. Well, I'll tell you by that metric, it also, I think that's a good way to call it art because Tron Legacy, a oh, movie no. that was inspired by this one, is also visually really great. And then also Daft Punk did the music for it. And so oh. this movie inspired other cool works of art that are in the same way cool. Sure. So like made like. Right? I mean, and the soundtrack for this movie is pretty good. Yeah. So in visually, this movie is artistic. Also, conceptually, it's pretty cool. If you look at just the base concept, like programs or people in a digital world, you're just like, wait, what the fuck did I just read? <laughs> you can have some fun with it. It's, I, yeah. I think it is trying to say something in like, take a step back and, and think about the moral implications of what you're doing when you're creating new things and you should do it because we at Disney certainly won't. Yeah. And like the impact it'll have. And like in terms of AI, I think these are really important existential quandaries to ponder. Yeah. Kind of putting human moral questions into this technological universe is an interesting approach. Yeah, it was neat. And uh, I think back in the day, it was kind of one of the earlier evil AI movies, which have become really run of the mill these days. But like back at the time, that would have been pretty cool, I think. Yeah, I mean, this movie is older than I am. So. Yeah. At the same time, this kind of like falls short of being 
fine art, I'll say, <laughs> because the larger narrative isn't really saying anything. It's just kind of supporting the status quo. Yeah. And not trying to push your understanding of reality or making you question too much. So it lacks a subversive element. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of just techno whimsy. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. I mean, what are most Disney films, if not some amount of whimsy? Yeah. This is just whimsy with neon lights. Yeah. <laughs> I I do appreciate that, but... I think the the message of the movie might be like, don't be greedy. And that's it. Yeah, that falls pretty short coming from Disney. <laughs> yes. And the fact that Flynn becomes the CEO with all that money at the end. Yeah, I, I think it's a really fun movie. I, I enjoy it, but it does. I mean, for one, it drags a bit towards the end as the conceit kind of gets played out throughout the narrative and like the adventure premise kind of falls away to just like, oh, we have like a bunch of cool things we want to show off. I think that it kind of fails to have any larger meaning towards the end of the film too. And then like you guys are saying, it ends with this just celebration of bald capitalism. Yeah. I'll say it uh, probably like this. The best way that Tron could be art, in my opinion, would be a, as a music video for Daft Punk. <laughs> like, take away most of take away most of the plot and dialogue and stuff. Just have it be like visuals the, and everything that go with the soundtrack, and then it's you pretty much have all the strengths of the movie. I think that's fair. Yeah, you could fit it into a five minute music video. Or just play Kingdom Hearts 2, where you get to go into the digital world and kick a bunch of butt at Sora. That's right. I think Stitch from Lilo and Stitch is in that level. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. Art imitates life. That's right. Stitch from Lilo and Stitch is also in the film Lilo and Stitch. That's right. Which I have yet to see. Same. But what I'm looking forward to seeing for our episode in two weeks is the new Dungeons and Dragons movie. That's right. Honor Amongst Thieves. Guys, I cannot believe it. This D&D movie is getting good reviews from the early viewers. It's amazing. That's right. This week, we were sick. Yeah. But we're going to Yeah, be, we were sick. That's right. But we're going to be <laughs> over it just in time to see the new Dungeons and Dragons movie in theaters and get sick again. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> then two weeks after that, when we've healed from that sickness, we can go get sick again because in one month we are going to be talking about the very normal <laughs> Chris Pratt in Super Mario Brothers. We're doing what? We're doing what? <laughs> That's right. April. We've we've set it up perfectly by talking about Tron this week because April is all about gaming. There we go. I, I mean, here we go! <laughs> but in an American accent. Normal right. accent. Normal accent. Here we go. Here we go, guys. It's, it's a me. <laughs> <laughs> Hail Crom. Oh. I, I, I feel bad to some extent making fun of somebody for misspeaking because I do it all the time. <laughs> but we're not the only ones. No. But if you want to find out more about our show, you could head over to uh, social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as at Swords and Satire. It's true. Jamie posts some fun memes there sometimes. He posts them sometimes or they're only fun sometimes. Yes. Uh, and you can talk to us directly that way. And as we mentioned before, if you really love the show, you can head to patreon.com slash swords and satire and sign up to send us a little bit of cash every month. And in return, we will send you some bonus episodes. That's right. We really appreciate it. But if you don't have those few extra bits, <laughs> bitcoins. No, <laughs> please don't send us Bitcoin. But, it, you know, it fits for a Tron episode. <laughs> I'd rather you just send her the mail bomb. <laughs> well, I'm sure that has real world value. <laughs> um, 
Another great way you can support the show is by telling your friends and your family about Swords and Satire. We don't pay to advertise, and so your word of mouth is literally the best advertisement we have. True. I mean, I told you guys about Swords and Satire, and now you listen every week, right? That's right. It helps us out to have more listeners, and what a great way to enjoy your favorite art than with your favorite people. That's right. It's the best. All right. Well, until next time, Hail Hail Crime. Crime!